0: Welcome to Studio 2 Solstice Edition. I'm I Avi wolfman aaron
1: And I'm Cherry Gregg on this winter solstice. I love that, Avi. <sighs> this is our last live show of 2023. Can you what? believe that? I know. Oh my God! So much has Where happened. Where did the time go? And coming up this hour, we're talking about the man himself. Who, you ask, Pope Francis and his decision to allow priests to bless same-sex couples. That has stirred controversy this week, and it's not the first time he's been in the spotlight.
0: Yes, there have been some changes to the church under his decade-long papacy, and they have inspired, we'll say kindly, mixed reactions. Mm -hmm. We want your reaction. What do you think? Email studio2 at WHYY.org or give us a call. The number, listen carefully, 888
1: And in a few minutes, we'll talk with State Representative Jordan Harris about two new criminal justice reform bills that take aim at the probation system and also expand clean slate rules in the state. And later this hour, we get to hear from some super cool high schoolers as they share their top stories of 2023. And now, for our top story of the day, Mm -hmm. are you going to be a part of the millions? You just heard NPR talk about it the millions and millions of people that will be traveling this holiday season. Just so you know, over a million people will be traveling through Philadelphia International Airport this week. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of folks. And the exact amount, according to the PHL blog post, Is one million ninety two thousand one hundred travelers? They'll pass through the airport. Estimate specific. They'll pass through the airport between today and January third. This is a thirteen point eight percent increase over last year. All right. If you want to know the busiest days, sure. The twenty second, the twenty sixth, and twenty seventh. And on those days, you have anywhere from eighty three to eighty five thousand people.
0: Traveling through the airport. Wow. On one day. I'm shocked. I'm stunned. People are traveling mm-hmm. for Christmas. Next thing, you tell me they're going to put trees in their houses and have presents under them and then festive meals? That's right. Okay. Let's talk about some traditions, some Christmas traditions. Sounds good. Asha Prihar from mm-hmm. Billy Penn has a story up right now about how Philly plays a part in some winter holiday history. Mm-hmm. Here's one, for instance, the poinsettia. You oh. see them all over the place this time of year. I have a few year. in the house. They are named after a guy mm. named Joel Roberts Poinsett, who was a very uh, early American diplomat to Mexico. He sent some clippings because the, the plant is native to Mexico. Sent some clippings up to Bartram's Garden in Philadelphia. And then they were displayed at a flower show in Philadelphia. And that's kind of how they caught on and became the Christmas plant mm-hmm. here in America. OK, so that's one connection. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, little town of Bethlehem. Oh, uh, started as a poem before it was a song. Uh, written by a guy named Philip Brooks, an Episcopal priest who was in Philly at the time at a church on Rittenhouse Square. So that's number two. Number three, Rabbi Abraham Shemtov and four other men are thought to be the first people to ever light a Hanukkah menorah on public property in front of Independence Hall that happened in 1974. And finally, Perkasie, Bucks County, hosts, they claim, the oldest oh. tree lighting ceremony in America. There you go. Four great connections to holiday traditions in our region. Thank you, Asha Prihar, for enlightening us. I love that Billy Penn story. And it's kind
1: of cool. Philadelphia and our region is always on the forefront of history, being the first on so many levels. And... Why shouldn't the holidays be part of that? So
0: they they should be, yeah. and they
1: are, and they are. So go ahead. <laughs> okay. Kudos to our region. <laughs> um, a little bit more serious story uh, uh. is about Rite Aid. Yeah, so Rite Aid is now the banned. Pharmacy. Yeah. The pharmacy you have probably seen them all around. We've been talking about them. Philadelphia in the past few based, weeks. by the way. Yeah, well, Rite Aid is now banned from using facial recognition technology for five years. Now, y'all may not have even known that they were using it. I was and there's not a, there. there's probably some reasons for that. Um, Rite Aid had been using facial recognition to identify customers who may have been engaged in shoplifting or other problematic behavior. The images, they took them from security cameras, employee phone cameras, and news stories. And many of these were very poor quality. Well, the facial rec- recognition technology, which came from a third party, they falsely flagged some customers. And when mm. I say some, I'm talking about thousands it's of false to the FTC, positives. Right? This is according to the Federal Trade Commission. Yeah. yeah. And it subjected customers to embarrassment, harassment, and other harm. And so someone complained and... The Federal Trade Commission came down pretty hard. They said that huh. the Rite Aid failed to inform customers that they were using this technology. A um,
0: five-year ban, right? Yeah,
1: five-year ban. They also claimed that uh, you know they didn't train workers properly mm. on the use, and and that false positives were possible. And it dated back yeah. to 2012. It I didn't did. even know they had this technology I, in did. 2012. And now the FTC has
0: says they have to do a lot of things to make things right. Interesting. I'm curious if uh, governments are going to start to regulate this type of technology. Mm-hmm. Maine, I believe, has a law around it. New York City has some regulations around it, but Rite Aid is like not the only store that's using this stuff. It's yeah. just the way they were using it. They got dinged for that. Mm-hmm. But I think and like they didn't Macy's tell people used, they, and they didn't just tell didn't people. help people. Yeah, no yeah. disclosure. Interesting though. I mean, it's, I think it's a frontier to watch moving forward. How many stores use this stuff? How do they use it? And what's the response? From government and consumer groups.
1: Yeah, and I, I just imagine being c- being are, flagged, told that you were of shop. I'm like, what? I, it, it would Can't have you to be use American. your face
0: right now to get in the Phillies game. I think. I mean, that's a very that, different yeah, use of the technology, yeah. but it's just it's popping up everywhere. It's
1: popping up everywhere.
0: Um, we want to do one more holiday story. Yes. Um, and this is a little more serious. So, despite all the holiday cheer and festivities, a lot of people struggle with stress. Depression and loneliness this time of year. Mm-hmm. And last week, the Pennsylvania Department of Education launched a hotline called the You've Got a Friend in Pennsylvania hotline. It's an automated phone number that you can call anytime to hear a pre recorded pep talk or joke from Pennsylvania students. <laughs> Here is a sample of the uh, joke portal
2: Where do pencils go on vacation? Pennsylvania.
3: Why did the chicken cross the road?
2: To get to the outside. What kind of clock does a pigeon have? A
4: cool clock.
0: The delivery on those jokes was really good, by the way. The first one, sort of that that sort of flat Pennsylvania to indicate that it's like a a kind of a dad joke. Mm -hmm. I appreciated that. Um, But the serious part of this is that it's supposed to be just sort of something you can lean on if you need it during the holiday season. Because a lot of people do feel a sense of loneliness um, this time of year, the number is 717-772-4737, and there are various menu options you can go through if you want to hear some of those pre-recorded messages from our youth.
1: Yeah, and they do make they do make you smile, right? And it's nice that, that people are trying different ways of keeping people's spirits high. So, I say pay attention to your feelings. These are some of the recommendations from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Pay attention to your feelings, mm-hmm. develop a plan if you feel stressed out, and you can always contact 988 the suicide and crisis lifeline yeah. or by texting 988 for immediate help. Yeah, so remember
0: 988. Down. That's Nine always out there. And that's not specific to the holidays. 988
1: And so now we're going to move into our newsmaker portion of uh, this segment. Last week at the National Constitution Center, Governor Josh Shapiro, standing beside rapper Meek Mill, signed two criminal justice reform bills, Bill 838. That's probation reform legislation, and he also signed a clean slate bill. You may remember that Meek Mill became a leading advocate for probation reform after he was sentenced to a two- to four-year prison sentence for violating his probation back in 2017.
5: We try to be better, but they labeled us felons, sent us back to jail. I had to fight against that the whole time to gain my respect and be who I am today, and I'm proud of that.
1: Now, supporters of Bill 838 say it will have a profound impact on hundreds of thousands of people trapped in the probation system by reducing probation lengths and limiting prison time for technical violations. But there are critics. Some 50 organizations opposed it, including the ACLU who argued that this legislation will make probation worse. Democratic State Representative Jordan Harris, who serves part of Philadelphia, has been instrumental in both of these bills, and he's with us in studio. Tell us more about what these laws will do for people in the criminal justice system and to respond to some of the criticism. Jordan, it's nice to see you. Welcome to Studio too.
5: Uh, thanks so much for having me. Good to see you as well. Good to see you both. I mean, you know, we uh, have seen... Um, Pennsylvania move in the right direction with regards to criminal justice reform over the last decade. Um, and and both of these bills uh, take a significant step forward. One, clean slate. And can we talk
0: the, about clean slate first, actually, sure. before we get to 838? Sure. Uh, so this clean slate law, this is basically about when a charge can be sealed from public view. Yes. Um, and this update makes it so certain nonviolent drug crimes can now be sealed after a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. Why did you all focus on that category of crime?
5: When I first got elected and I started working on these uh, pieces of legislation, um, we passed Clean Slate the first time over five years ago. Mm-hmm. And when we passed it, it did not include felonies. And I remember going home to my community and while people celebrated what we had done, many of them said it, it didn't go far enough and it wouldn't help Uh you know, significant parts of the community. Clean slate as it is before the governor signed the expansion had already sealed 45-plus million criminal records in in the state and helped more than a million folks. But what we understood then and still understand is that felonies were a major issue. I promised then, and I delivered on that promise, that we would go back and get felonies. What we've seen in the opioid crisis and what we saw prior to that with the war on drugs— was that it was really a war on people and that far too many people were seeing their lives uh, dashed or, or 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 saw opportunities unobtainable because of drugs and drug felonies.
0: Opportunities like housing. I mean, what, what
5: type of opportunities? Uh, lots there? of ho- yeah. h- housing is one yeah. um, because of federal regulations and, and some state stuff, as well as uh, there are certain uh, areas in professional life. Um, we have lots of professional licenses that folks were ineligible mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. because of these records. And then, I mean, you had people couldn't go to, you know, to uh, uh, class trips with their children because of some of some of these crimes, as well as just simple employment. Uh, What Clean Slate, what we call Clean Slate 3.0, this is the third iteration of the Clean Slate law that we've gotten done, covers those drug felonies and provides a second chance for those who have proved themselves worthy of such.
1: And some of this is automatic, Mm -hmm. Um um, and talk about the necessary, um, you know some of the things that the automatic nature of some of the sealing what it does for people.
5: Yeah, so when we first did um, record sealing in general, it wasn't automatic. You needed to go to court and get a petition. And petitioned the court to do it. And what we noticed was one, most folks couldn't afford it, and two, it was hard getting people to understand that this was actually out there. So the the whole issue, the whole thing about clean slate and why it's a national model is because it's the first of its kind with automatic record sealing. So once you hit the threshold for the time yep. period, mm-hmm. once you've paid your court your court costs and fines. It automatically happens every month. No hoops to jump no. through. No, every month there's a list of folks. It's sent to to um, AOPC, which is the ones who manage the records, and it's automatically done. You don't even have to do anything.
1: Hmm. So, and that's a that's a huge win for a lot of people.
0: Speaking of hoops to jump through, probation and yes. probation reform. Mm-hmm. 838 is a complicated piece of legislation, um, and people have spun it all sorts of ways. But Mm -hmm. before we even get into that, we have about five minutes left. I mean, what is the basic problem with probation
5: Mm -hmm. as it existed before 838? So the problem, one, is that um, any interaction with law enforcement could result in a technical violation. A technical violation could result in you being reincarcerated so something as simple as being pulled over uh not not for DUI but for running a stop sign mm-hmm. um making a U turn uh all of those things you know could get you a technical violation and get you back in prison um what this bill does and and you know it's been a work for 5 years to uh, get mm-hmm. us there um and lots of people have worked on it this particular piece of legislation uh we worked on uh senator anthony williams uh uh who who is my state senator and represents parts of my district he was uh um he, we worked with him on this as well um the the bill stops that from happening the, and the presumption changes okay and and this is huge and 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 mm-hmm. and, and this is why this is major for us The presumption is now that you're not going to be sent to prison unless it's a new crime. So if you're on probation and you get into assault or you're you're still committing crimes, that's something different. But for these type of technical violations, the presumption is that you're not going back, and therefore the judge and the um, uh, district attorney's office they have to prove. The burden is on the judge. Yes, that is huge. Mm -hmm. Just the shifting of that burden is major. And the amount of time that you can stay incarcerated is also prescribed in the legislation based off of uh, how many violations you may have had. Okay.
1: One of the things I saw that it also uh, brings you up pro- for probation review every couple years mm-hmm. uh, for misdemeanors and four years uh, every four years for felonies, all those things. So it seems like it would shorten the time that you're on probation generally. But at the same time. There are critics and we heard the good things, Mm -hmm. but the ACLU major critic of this legislation, they say it actually makes the probation worse, that it would create uh, administrative probation where people who couldn't pay restitution or something like that, who've completed all the, the requirements of supervision are in this limbo your re- response to the criticism well
5: my response to the criticism the same way that i responded to criticism when they talked about clean slate the first time uh that it didn't do none didn't do enough it didn't go far enough i would agree that the probation bill that we passed didn't go as far as many of us would like to i mean if you want to see how far i wanted to go look up house bill 1555 i would consider that where we wanted to go but um you know, we don't control both chambers in uh, in the General Assembly, and therefore consensus has to be – you have to come to consensus to get things done. We made a historic uh, first step in reforming the, the the probation system here in the Commonwealth. But as Senator Lisa Baker said, who is a Republican, not from Philadelphia, she even herself said that she wanted to get more done on the issue. And I'm committed to getting more done as well. So, you know... What, you ha- what is the more... What's the next more? We have about f- 15, 20 seconds. We should... we Caps. Like, there should be... The amount of time... You the could amount be of time in, you know. could be on probation, we should be doing caps. Uh, and there's other nuances in the bill that we should uh, be fixing and, 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 and giving more uh, uh, definitive answers on things. Um, is it going to happen tomorrow? No. But, you know, in the world of criminal justice reform with the legislature... You have to prove that the world is not going to come to an end and that it's not going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you come back and you get more done.
0: That Mm -hmm. is PA State Rep. Jordan Harris serving the 186th District, parts of Philadelphia and Majority Chair of the House Appropriations Committee. Thank you so much, Representative Harris, for joining us today on Studio Two.
5: Thank you for having me.
0: Coming up
1: next, we're talking about Pope Francis. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in depth,
2: long form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and
1: NPR.
0: Welcome back to Studio Two. I'm Avi Wolfman,
1: and I'm Cherry Gregg. The Vatican announced this week that priests can bless same sex couples. A significant shift in how the Catholic Church approaches LGBTQ plus people. To be clear, the church has not changed its position on the union or marriage of same-sex couples. But still, Pope Francis's announcement has people split. Many see it as a landmark decision that could lead to more acceptance in the
0: church. Others are deeply skeptical and say the change goes against Catholic beliefs. This is not the first time. Pope Francis, has stirred the papal pot. At his weekly blessing last week, he called Israel's actions against civilians in Gaza terrorism. Earlier this year, he took aim at gas and oil companies expressing urgent concern about the climate crisis. He continues to receive hostility from his most vocal critics, especially within the Vatican, and applause from others who want to see change in the church. Joining us now is Rocco Palmo. He is a Philadelphia-based Catholic journalist and editor of the website Whispers in the Logia, Rocker, Rocco Palmo, welcome to Studio
4: 2. Thanks, Avi. Thanks, uh, Sherry. Happy holidays to you both.
0: Happy
1: holidays to you, too. And friends, we know that there are a lot of strong opinions about changes in the church and about Pope Francis's leadership. What do you think? Chime in. We want your calls. The number is 888-477-9499. You can also email Studio 2 at WHYY.org. And so, Rocco, I want to start with some very basics um, regarding this formal approval by the Pope to bless same-sex couples. Um, It's been viewed as the Pope's most permissive decree to date when it comes to LGBTQ plus people, but talk about the parameters. What can priests and other leaders in the church do today that they couldn't or didn't know whether or not they could do before this announcement?
4: Uh, Well, Sherry, I think... uh in terms of practice, you know, the, a lot of this is going to shake itself out depending on the place, depending on an individual priest. So but, you know, the parameters the Vatican set and they basically said in this 10 page document, 5000 word or, or on Monday, which came with no prior um announcement or inkling whatsoever normally a document like this is heralded several days in advance and there's a big press conference here it just dropped out of nowhere and there went everybody's week before christmas mm. but uh especially priests i know but anyway um <laughs> the um you know the parameters are the, the church's teaching on marriage as being between one man and one woman for life in the context of a sacrament uh, has not changed the church mm-hmm. believes that sacraments come from god and really you know and the document itself explicitly said the church's teaching on marriage remains firm if there was a way for francis that he could feel he could change it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh he would he would he would have found a way you know but basically you know all kinds of items and people in different situations are blessed for example i once had uh my car blessed by a priest. We were going out to dinner. It happened to be raining. He used the rain on the top of the car as holy water. <laughs> you know, that doesn't give the car a supernatural power. It doesn't say that, well, somebody's not going to drive drunk behind the wheel or God knows what, mm-hmm. you know, the things that happen in cars. So, so people seek blessings as a sign in general of, of God's closeness, of, of God's help, God's protection. You know, it's not a sacrament. It's a different thing. So in essence, uh, priests are now permitted at, at their own discretion and judgment you know to bless um, what the church calls a regular couples not just same-sex couples but also and this has been a even longer uh, thicket of Catholic pastoral practice s- straight couples who are civilly divorced and remarried with who you know objectively for the most part can't receive the sacraments hmm. but just as a way of saying you know bless them not as a union, necessarily bez people Uh, you know uh, Francis always likes to say that you know in terms of how Catholic teaching relates to real people in real situations you know people are not a problem to be solved there's Mm. something to be helped just this morning he gave his annual Christmas speech which is you know only half jokingly termed a a, a lecture or Mm -hmm. a reprove of his senior staff and it's made public yeah and he said you know and and even though he didn't mention Monday's document uh, directly, a lot of what he was saying <clears throat> kind of relates to the reaction and and no yeah, and, and we're gonna get to yeah, that. Yeah, we're gonna get to that Rocco well, yeah, real quick let, let me just throw sure. one line in though sure He said the only time any of you can look down on someone is when you're helping them up. And that yeah, in, that's it summarizes the whole approach of these last ten years, not just again yeah, and we young
0: and I want to make sure we got a lot of ground to cover here, mm-hmm. Rocco so but uh, oh yes, we do. so let's talk a little bit about the why. You mentioned that this announcement was made um, not in the typical fashion. Mm -hmm. Why was it made in this particular way? And why is Pope Francis doing this at all? I mean, is it driven by conviction? Is it about marketing the church to people who might not feel welcome in it now? I mean, what's the why?
4: Uh, The general sense of again, you know, as opposed to his two predecessors, who were, you know, kind of high academic theologians. Francis is the first pope, I think, in at least 150 years who doesn't have some sort of academic doctorate. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I mean, his doctorate from, as he would probably say, or we would say in English, the school of hard knocks, you know, <laughs> real people in real situations. And, um, you know, a, a major emphasis, uh, uh, and again, this is someone who hasn't worked or studied in Rome before becoming mm-hmm. the bishop of Rome, the pope. So... Um, you know his whole concept of the church is, you know, because again, under his predecessors, and always a steady stream of documents coming out of the Vatican, they have not related so well to real people in real situations. They've been perfect classical theology, and Francis comes from a, you know, he's the first Italian pope we've had too, fifty years, and and that sense of Italian chaos. He's and, he's from and Argentina. Yeah, he, he but, but he's full blooded Italian. His okay. parents came over on the boat, and and so that sense of. Migration, which also plays much into his Mm -hmm. social teaching, but just the sense of the church needing to be more of a family and less of what he calls a customs house or what we would say in American English as a country club. You know, it's not a place where you're supposed to make people apply and have them check boxes. Mm-hmm. and be able to reject them you know again people are not uh a problem to be solved there's something to be helped and yeah, he's I- someone who's lived his life in you know the real world And he talked about reality again this morning a lot in that speech basically saying you can't you know act as if we're in the 1700s and and you know everyone it, it's just that's not the way the world works now and the church has to respond in kind.
1: Yeah. And if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Rocco Palmo. He is a Philadelphia based Catholic journalist. We're talking about the Pope's recent uh, decree that came out this week, allowing um, priests to formally bless same sex couples. Um, and if you want to chime in, uh, the number is 888-477-9499. You can also email studio Two at org. Um we got an email from Jem who says this move is not that progressive they're not saying gay people can get married they are just blessing them I want to talk about this this whole idea because there's been a number of things that on the surface seem progressive but may not necessarily be and uh, and this recently um the pope made clear that transgender people could be baptized serve as godparents and witnesses in church ceremonies the pope has also spoken out against laws criminalizing LGBTQ plus people, um, calling them an injustice and a sin. Can you talk a bit about some of these shifts and and why some people are calling it extremely progressive, but then other folks are saying, you know, this really isn't that big of a move.
4: Well, I think anyone who's looking for, you know, like a full bore sanction of same-sex marriage and allowing priests to bless it, I mean, we're looking in the context, you know, that kind of thought, would be in the context of American society right now as it is. You have to remember Cherry, this is a 1.4 billion member global church. And just this move alone has already you know increased the active and you know some would say belligerent resistance and dissent to Francis N- not just among his, the usual suspects of, you know, dissent sudden dissenters which are, you know, kind of the right wing here in the U.S. Uh, but also, too, in parts of sub-Saharan Africa, in parts of Eastern Europe, uh, there's already been, you know, uh, and again, this this document, even though the Pope didn't personally issued it, he approved its, its issuance, but it's called a Declaration of the Office for the Doctrine of the Faith. This is a binding statement for mm. Catholics, at least those who claim, profess to be in communion with the Pope, which is the, you know, sine qua non of being Catholic. So, uh, you know, it may not be progressive enough for folks in our cultural context. But if anything, you've already had organized groups of priests, sometimes even of bishops already in other parts of the world, saying this is inadmissible in mm. terms of the Catholic thing, can we talk- which is a shocking breach yeah. From, yeah. from the Pope.
0: Yeah, Rocco, can we talk a little bit about the political factions within the church right mm. now? Give us the lay of the land. Where, on, on sort of in what faction or to what faction does Pope Francis belong and what does the opposition look like?
4: Well, you know, I think factions... Avi uh, can sometimes be overblown. Okay. Uh, in, is that too reductive? I mean, how American, would you describe how, it? it? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's a convenient, easy shorthand. And yeah. interestingly enough, this morning, you know, in his speech to his his top advisors, you know, he said, uh, you know, now six, he's talking in the context of Vatican II, the uh, major global meeting of bishops 60 years ago that opened the church to the world. He said, you know, people are still debating the division. And this is direct quote between progressives and conservatives, but that is not the difference. The real central difference is between lovers of Jesus and of the faith, and those who have lost their passion for it.
5: Hmm. That is the
4: difference. Only those who love can move forward. And again, he did not mention Monty's document, but given the controversy, he knew it would be read as a reference to that. And it goes back even 10 years ago. He said, you know, for folks, there was a the first Vatican meeting on families, which Part of which was the world meeting of families when Francis came here to Philly in 2015. Mm -hmm. But he closed that meeting weeks after his visit here by saying, you know, because folks were talking about LGBTQ outreach and the need for uh, an Amplify one. And you have pushback again from other parts of the world, he said, you know, because they would say, oh, you know, accommodating LGBTQ is, is a scandal. He said the real scandal is a failure to love. and and for the church to show that love concretely to people so now again the pope can do whatever pope has essentially absolute power in the church you know catholics see him as the successor to saint peter the first Mm -hmm. of the apostles to whom jesus in the gospels gave the power to bind and loose however he saw fit i will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven is the line that's why the pope is should be held normally in all like that but now You know, all of a sudden, the people who champion papal authority and aggressive papal authority through John Paul and Benedict have suddenly become minimalists of papal authority and And, said, oh, no, the Pope has to work between these lines, which is a change.
1: Yeah. And we got this email from Ted who says Francis says to keep ideology out of the church, focus on our faith. But with the statements and making these changes, I think he is inserting his own ideology does not make sense? That's the email that we got from Ted. I, I, I want to zoom out a bit and talk about, you know, membership in the church, because like many organized religions, I mean, membership has decreased in the 1970s, um, about 27 percent, nearly 30 percent of American adults were Catholic. That number, depending on which report you look at, is down to around anywhere from 21 to as low as 17% in America now. Um, A lot of pews are empty. You know, churches are losing folks um, every single day. Given this context, is the Pope trying to bring people who may have felt excluded back into the fold? And I I say this from a point, of someone who grew up as Catholic and have seen the numbers go down.
4: Yeah, Uh, well, it's interesting, Cherry, even here in our own backyard, when I was growing up, you know, Uh, 20 30 years ago the archdiocese of philadelphia had 1.5 million catholics now it's barely a million and that's the official number from the diocese in terms of reality it's probably less so we've seen a a drop of a third in our own backyard Mm. um but you know again this document monday interestingly you know again for the folks for this resistance the pope's getting for ted you know who's claiming that this is the pope's a matter of the pope's ideology you know, again, anyone who's ideologizing this or trying to see this as as some sort of institutional thing, if anything, all the institutions of the church were told to stay out of it. This is a matter between a priest and people spontaneously, informally. Nothing that resembles a wedding can be, you know, that is specifically banned, you know, here. But um, there was a line in the document that said people who come for blessings, by and large, are people who seek God's goodness and closeness and mercy. It said and that is not a small thing in mm. today's world, you know, which basically refers to, again, in the world in which we live, you know, and but also to all this, you know, once upon a time, any document that referred to, you know, the Vatican wouldn't use the term gays five years ago in an official document or same, you know, uh, but. It, it would, you know, there would always be the codicil the homosexuality or homosexual acts are, quote unquote, intrinsically disordered. There but do you think, Rocka, language. sorry, Rocka, but
0: do you think this is yes. about, on some level, uh, marketing the church to people, uh, yes. uh, increasing mm-hmm. the numbers?
4: Oh, I wouldn't put it that crudely, Avi, but, but, you know, if anything, uh, just again, for, you know, in terms of families, in terms of people, and not looking at, you know, number blocks. For, practically every catholic who still remains practicing in the church mm-hmm. and so many who are no longer practicing uh, You know, the whether personally is an LGBTQ person or someone who is related to one, knows one, cares for one, loves one. This issue has become an obstacle to actual faith in Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. and in the Catholic Mm -hmm. Church. And, you know, if this is not a top tier issue, when Catholics say the creed on Sunday, the formal statement of belief that dates back 1800 years, there is nothing about days are lesbians. There's nothing about abortion. There's nothing about the issues that are seen as the uh, uh, litmus tests, Mm. Mm -hmm. you know, of today's culture wars. It's about believing in God, believing in the church, and believing in the authority of the church, which is, you know, has now come to this step. And, Mm -hmm. And again, as Francis said, only those who love, and, you know, his predecessor, Pope Benedict, who was always seen as a reactionary, his first major message to the world was God is love. And so it's actually in a continuity there.
1: And I have to ask you this. The Pope recently said, let us remain vigilant against rigid ideological positions that often under the guise of good intentions, separate us from reality and prevent us from moving forward. It seems to me that Pope Francis is trying to thread the needle between opening the doors and keeping true to the doctrine. Um, what how are the more conservative Catholics handling this, because a lot of folks, you know, like you just said, they've built a lot uh, around this belief that, you know, same sex marriage, all that stuff is just wrong, wrong, wrong. And now you see this opening of the door, this welcoming in just sort of how how do you think the pope is doing threading this needle?
4: Well, it's interesting, Cherry, because, again, as I said, over the last couple of days and not just from here in the States or the English speaking world, but, you know, again, ports of sub-Saharan Africa, ports of Eastern Europe, um, you have seen already. And again, it's so a week before Christmas. This is not the quietest time of year for priests or church people, but you've already seen groups. I think there was a group of 500 priests in Britain today who said that this is not admissible in the life of the church and, and you know, that that uh, they want nothing to do with it. Again, that kind of defiance, that kind of open, obstinate defiance toward uh, a declaration, a formal declaration from the Vatican is shocking. And, and a quick follow-up uh,
1: because there, there there's some factions that have even called for his resignation um is that even possible
4: yeah uh, well he can do whatever he wants but you know the the more interesting tact that some folks on the right say is that that basically the pope has put himself into heresy with things like this which means he is automatically disqualified wow. from being pope and that none of his actions are valid uh you know it's funny how a lot of this mirrors the dynamic of current american politics it sure does mm-hmm. yeah uh it's and it's but See, I think the issue is on all sides of the coin um, in terms of reaction that, you know, our own culture has a weakness that people have made politics their religion and have turned their faith into politics. Mm. And, you know, we, uh, you know, especially this time of year when we hopefully will or should be with our families and and even for all the differences in those families kind of uh, you know celebrating what we have and the blessing of each other that we all kind of just everybody would be, do well to take a step back hmm. and realize what's really important in life.
0: We are speaking with Rocco Palmo, editor of Whispers in the Loggia, talking about the state of the Catholic Church. You can give us a call, 888-477-9499. We have about five minutes left in this segment. You can also email studio2 at WHYY.org. And I want to read in another email comment, this one from Arlene, uh, I believe referring to what we were talking about earlier. It is the smallest of reforms made in a 2,000-year-old institution. I find the refusal to recognize the intellectual abilities and spiritual gifts of women by refusing them to be leaders in the church a slap in the face to all womankind. And yes, I take it personally. Rocco, I'm using that email as a springboard to ask about what other frontiers might open up in this dispute between the traditionalists and Pope Francis um, and his allies. Um, We talked about LGBTQ plus acceptance um, what else is out there uh, that could be a tension point in the coming years?
4: Well, it's it's already begun, Avi. It's actually been going on for some years. But, I mean, one thing Francis has said coming in, and, and again, especially in an institution-heavy, very traditional list diocese like Philadelphia, you know, which once had the greatest collection of Catholic institutions of any diocese in the world 100 mm-hmm. years ago, um, you know, the, the emphasis has been on, you know, priesthood means power and that has both perverted the priesthood and mm. perverted the church and francis himself you know himself is trying to loosen that up you know and part of the reason i think you know we see the push for women's ordination and everything is that that erroneous conflation of priesthood with power if anything you know the teaching of the church says that by baptism All of us male female whatever our age have a share in what's called the royal priesthood or the you know the dignity of christ Hmm. so francis has already started opening up positions in the vatican that were previously held by archbishops or um you know cardinals even to women whether they be what we call religious women most people would know them as nuns uh or sisters uh or to lay women i mean the deputy foreign minister which always used to be a high-ranking monsignor was, until recently, a laywoman.
5: Mm. You know, part yeah. of
4: the vehicle for the law of the Pope's changes is what's called the Synod of Bishops. It's a global gathering of, you, they used to be all bishops, but in its first session under uh, uh, this October of the current issue, if you will, the Pope opened it up to make it more deliberative, named a uh, religious woman as the number two in the office that runs it, but also named 70 lay people from around the world. You see, when we talk about, you know, women in orders, it's not just a question of women. It's a question of even lay men having, you know, uh, because canon law until now has stated that jurisdiction can only be exercised by a priest. Francis said, no, it comes from the job that the bishop, the pope gives you. So a layman is already now holding a cardinal's job in the Vatican. Now, whether it was a man or a woman, the most significant fact is it's a layperson, someone who has a, a family. So we're going to be seeing more of that next year. But the pope really wants all this to come to diocesan level where what's called, like, for example, yeah. the vicar general, the COO of the diocese. This and, is a five billion dollar corporation here in this archdiocese can end up being run yeah. by a layperson.
1: And, and let me just throw in here because we only have about a, a minute and a half um, left got to ask you, I mean, the Pope just had a birthday. He's 87 years old, 10 years into his papacy. Yes. Does he have enough time realistically to, to solidify his vision, his more inclusive vision for the church and to ensure that he has enough folks, you know, in power to choose his successor, someone who will continue that vision?
4: Yeah. Well, well, Cherry, he's, he is speeding up. You know, he's had a lot of health scares. I mean, he won uh, one of his big causes that he didn't get to carry up. He wanted to make the COP 28, the climate change conference in Dubai earlier this month, but because he had bronchitis, the doctors told him not to make the trip, which was very... So, his health is a very open question, but in the meantime, he's chosen almost 70% of the Cardinals who will elect his successor. In contrast, to times past, they don't come from the big cities of the world, the Viennas, the Torontos, the Sydneys. They come from places like Papua New Guinea and Tonga and here in the United States San Diego and um you know just um uh, they come from what he calls the peripheries of the church where he feels you know catholic populations are smaller but more vibrant hmm. but the thing is the problem is they don't really know each other too well and they can't make a mistake with the election of a successor because once you hand the keys over i yeah. talked about the keys yeah. of the kingdom earlier you can't take them back. Cannot take Cannot them, back. Take them um,
0: back. Well, Rocco Palmo, thank you so much for joining us on Studio Two today. Uh, Rocco Rocco's a Philly-based Catholic journalist and editor of the website Whispers in the Logia. Rocco, really appreciate the time.
4: Anytime, guys. Happy holidays. Enjoy it.
1: And thanks to Adele who tried to get in on the call. She says, Judge not lest ye be judged. Coming
0: up. All right, words to live words by from Libby. Okay. Welcome back to Studio Two. I'm Cherry Gregg. And I'm Avi wolfman arendt 2023, a lot of breaking news. Mm -hmm. Cherry, when you think about it, we covered Mm -hmm. a ton of local stories since we've been on the air since just
1: March. I know. We went from major elections to protests, pop culture, even sports. We chose a new mayor. Somebody escaped from prison. Remember that? And he was on a loose Um, There was a clean water scare. The Phillies went pretty far this season. There was just so much to talk about, Avi. Just just so much.
0: A lot. Yeah. And we have some pretty cool students here at WHYY. They come to our studios after school, learn how to interview, produce news pieces and radio stories. And they work on a podcast called Mm. Spoken Youth. And today, Cherry, they put together something special for us. These high schoolers reflected on the stories that were most important to them this year. And they tell us why.
6: Hey there, it's Amelia from Spoken Youth. I'm here with Samaya Zen. Hello. Hi there. This is 2023 Through Our Eyes.
3: One of the biggest stories of the year was former President Trump's indictment. President Trump was and is the only president, current and former, to be criminally indicted and still be the GOP frontrunner for the 2024 presidency. It just speaks to where the nation is at the moment
6: a lot of the youth vote is just meh about
2: Biden and especially his age. You have to choose which one would you rather have. Someone who could not be trustworthy with all these criminal charges versus someone who may not be the most up-to-date on what's going on so may not represent your values accurately in like the highest position you can have in this country.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's also crazy to think about the fact that in many states, if you've been... Found guilty of a federal crime, you can no longer vote. But in this country, because there's nothing in the Constitution that directly states against it, you can still run for president even after being criminally indicted.
6: You can run for president from prison. Yeah. As teens in high school, we're just a couple years away from voting. Like, is this a message that we want to be sending to the world?
3: Our next story is...
6: The Israel-Hamas war. On October 7th, Hamas attacked Israel, and things changed all over the world. When I go to synagogue, it's something that hangs in the air everywhere all the time. People wear a little piece of ribbon, a blue ribbon pinned to their, their lapel.
3: It's very disheartening to see what's happening on the other side of the world. You would think humans have gotten past the need to... Commit this level of violence against another group of humans, but we still, are, we're still here in 2023, seeing this.
2: I don't know if I should say anything at all, and I see there's a lot of people posting on Instagram like their viewpoints, like pro-Palestine or pro-ceasefire, pro-Israel, and I don't personally post anything like that. I am just watching and seeing what's going on and trying to understand, but at the same time, I can't really fully understand. It's a lot. It's overwhelming. sag AFTRA went on strike on July 14th. It was the first strike they've done since 1980 and it ended on November 9th.
3: The strike that happened, it kind of it really hit me hard for both the writers and the um, actors because those were both industries that I've wanted to go into. And these big businesses like Disney and Comcast and Fox, they hold the money from the people who Like making them the most money. The writers, the actors, you cannot produce a show without either of them. You can't produce a movie without either of them.
6: And this year has just been full of various strikes. WGA and the UAW, the United Auto Workers, and so many more. Um, And I think it's really cool. Like, I think it's about time. I agree, yeah,
2: by the way, employees at WHYY are members of Sac aftra but they were not affiliated with the strike,
3: while not as politically important, um Taylor Swift being made person of the year and achieving billionaire status, I enjoy her music i do i'm i I was never going to go to the air store
6: yeah i'm not I'm not a fan. I mean, my favorite band's the Beatles been listening to a lot of the Doors, Donovan, Rolling Stones lately.
2: <laughs> Honestly, the only reason I really know her music is because when we were growing up, her a couple of her songs would play on the radio all the time. I think it's interesting because it could be a testament to the power and influence of music. A large majority of the population's attitude towards a billionaire who does music versus a billionaire who's the CEO of a tech company is very different. And I think Music is something people connect to, so they feel closer to her, so they feel like connected to her in some way and want to support her. Hilly Bailey was casted as Ariel in the new live action Little Mermaid this year. The reason she was acted wasn't just because she was African-American and popular, it was because she fit the role of the character. I thought all the criticism was unwarranted because mermaids are a fictional race. They can look like anybody. So people going after just because they think that the Disney's trying to be woke in the situation, I feel like is not accurate.:
3: Representation matters. When my little cousin saw Hailey Bailey as Ariel in a commercial for The Little Mermaids, he got so excited. Like she was jumping up and down, bouncing off the walls in a way that I've never been excited for a movie. And it's super important for people to be able to see themselves on the big screen and not in a way that it's the comedic relief character or the side character or the antagonist, but as the main titular character.
6: I agree. Thanks for listening. I'm Amelia. I'm Samaya. And I'm Zen. And this is Spoken Youth. These were our top stories for 2023.
0: All right. That's it. 2024. They're hosting the show.
4: I know. They could do
0: it. They could do it. Start to finish. Spoken Youth, by the way, is made in partnership with WHYY's Pathways to Media Careers. Wonderfully done. So
1: so much charisma. I just loved hearing their voices and knowing that they're paying attention to the news. Our future is in good hands.
0: They're watching. They're listening. And you all listened this year. Yeah, I really want to thank thank you. This is our last live show of the year. We've got some special programming lined up for next week already. But it's been a pleasure being on this journey with you, Cherry, and with our audience. And we look forward to much, much more in 2024.
1: Can't wait. And that is it for us today, friends. For more Studio 2, you can follow WHYY on all social platforms and download the show wherever you get your podcasts. And we could not do any of this without our producers, Debbie Builder, Paige Murray-Bessler, and Andreas Copes. Charlie Kyer, engineer today's program. Joan Isabella is the General Manager of Audio here at WHRY. And from Studio 2 at WHRY, I'm Cherry Gregg.
0: I'm Avi Wolfman-Erant. Thank you for joining us. Happy holidays
4: to you and yours.